All right, praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much for joining us in this rainy Sunday. Um, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way to 17. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 17. All right, praise the Lord. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see the verses up on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it on your screen at home. This is God's word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Interesting name. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, and Abud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations generations. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your word, every single syllable and word. For there is truth, and there is meaning in everything that you have written. And so, Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you as we look ahead to Christmas and the new year that you would, Father, draw our hearts towards you, and that we would, Father God, enter into a time of reflection, of drawing um, closer to you and intimacy, of spending time with you, and Lord God, help this series as we're beginning today to help us, help us, Lord, to know you better. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, praise the Lord. Today we're going to be starting a whole new series for Advent. And how many of you guys know what Advent means? A little pop quiz. But Advent is the Latin word for coming or arrival, as in the coming of Jesus on Christmas Day. And Advent is traditionally a time of reflection and preparation for Jesus' coming. So it's not just a season where we are getting ready to buy gifts and go to parties, but it is a season to prepare to worship him on Christmas morning. So we're starting a week later this year because of our series in Joel, but we're not too late. We still have this time together to make it meaningful, to spend it in preparation for Jesus' coming. So for this year, for Advent, what I want to do is I want to look at something that can help us know Christ better and draw closer to him, amen? So that's the whole point of Advent. You want to draw closer to Jesus. You want to spend time and know him better. And I want to look at something that might not normally come to your mind when you're thinking about Christmas or thinking about drawing closer to him. But I believe it can help you to do that. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about biblical prophecies about Christ. Biblical prophecies about Christ. There is an incredible wealth of knowledge about Jesus in biblical prophecy. Because long before he arrived here, nearly every aspect of who he is, what he will do, his character, his life, his mission, his ministry, his death, everything was prophesied in advance in the Old Testament. In fact, there are more than 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament that he already fulfilled. There are more that he has yet to fulfill, but at least 300, around 300, he has already uh, fulfilled. And these are prophecies that were beyond his control, humanly speaking. So some things, yeah, maybe he could have 
tried to fulfill them. He could have navigated his life in a certain direction. But we're talking about prophecies. He had no humanly way of orchestrating. So we're talking about like the lineage he would be born through, where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would be executed. These things were beyond his control, humanly speaking. And so this is amazing. There's no other book in the world that does this. But the odds of Jesus fulfilling even just a handful of these prophecies is nearly impossible. And yet Jesus fulfilled them all. You know, there was a mathematician, I think I might have mentioned this before, but his name is Peter Stoner, but he actually took the time to calculate the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these messianic prophecies. I think he's a believer, he was wondering this. And so because he was a mathematician, he calculated it. But this is what he concluded. He said the odds would be 1 in 10 to the 27. That is one chance in one with 17 zeros behind it. In order to fulfill just eight of these prophecies, that's how small the odds would be. And in order to kind of make this more real, to illustrate how small these odds are, Dr. Stoner, he gave this example. But he said, imagine taking 10 to the 17 silver dollar coins and then laying them all across the state of Texas. He said, if you were to do that, it would cover the entire state two feet deep. And then he said, imagine taking one of those coins and taking a red marker and then marking one of them with an X. And then you throw it back onto the pile and then you reshuffle the whole thing, right? The entire state of Texas, two feet deep, is covered in silver dollar coins. Reshuffle them all. And then he said, imagine taking a man, placing him right in the middle of Texas, blindfolding him. And telling him, you can walk in any direction, as far as you want. And then as soon as you feel like you've gone far enough, stop, bend down, and pick up a coin. Choose a coin. And he said, the odds of that man finding the marked coin are the same odds as Jesus fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. That sounds pretty impossible. Now consider Jesus, he fulfilled not only eight of those prophecies, he fulfilled 300 of them. 300 of them, things that he could not have orchestrated. So now this is getting statistically impossible. So no one could have fulfilled these prophecies by coincidence, by mere chance, and yet Jesus did, all of them. So why is this important? Well, it's because it marks Jesus as the one. He is the one. God the Father wanted everyone to know exactly what to look for once his Messiah would come to this world. He wanted everyone to know exactly what to look for. He wanted everyone to be able to identify Jesus as the one. And so these prophecies, they hold a wealth of information about who Jesus is. And so you simply can't know Jesus very deep. How many of you guys want to know Jesus more this season? Well, you can't really know him very deeply if you ignore this big part of what the Bible says about Jesus, these prophecies. And so I believe this is why Matthew did not open his gospel with verse 18. Okay, we stopped right at 17. If you were to read the very next verse, Matthew wrote, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and then he goes into the birth of Jesus. He didn't start there. Sounds like a good place to start a biography on Jesus. In fact, many Christians, that's where they start when they think about Jesus and Christmas. Yeah, I think about his birth. That's where I'm starting. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. But Matthew didn't start there. Where did he start? He began all the way back in verse 1 with that lineage. I'm glad I got through it. Those names were pretty hairy, some of them. But he started with Jesus' lineage. He reached all the way back deep into the Old Testament to give us his lineage. And the reason why is because Matthew wanted his Jewish readers to know that this Jesus I'm about to talk about is not some random person. He's not a poser. He's not even just a good leader worth following. No, he is the fulfillment of everything you have been reading about in your scriptures, the Old Testament. You know, Christopher Wright, he's a Bible scholar in Great Britain, and I'm leaning on him a lot for this message today. But he said in his wonderful book, Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament, but he said the Old Testament tells the story that Jesus completes. I love that. Do you want to understand what the Old Testament is about? It tells the story that Jesus completes. And this is what Matthew wanted his readers to realize. This is why he started his biography about Jesus, not with his birth, but all the way back deep in the Old Testament with that lineage. 
So in Matthew's mind, you cannot know Jesus truly and deeply until you know what the Old Testament has to say about him. This includes the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. You can't know your Savior. You can't know him very deeply unless you know these things. And even Jesus himself grew in knowledge about who he is. How? Have you ever thought about that? How did Jesus grow in his understanding? Did he just pop out of the womb and go, I'm Jesus, the Savior? No, he was a baby. He knew nothing. The Bible actually says he had to grow in knowledge and wisdom, just like all of us. He went from knowing nothing to knowing a little bit to knowing a little bit more. He began to examine his thumb. I remember when my kids first discovered their thumb. I remember when my son discovered something else. My wife was like, Roy, your son just discovered something. <laughs> anyway, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this about Jesus. I'm just saying <laughs> Jesus had to grow in his knowledge of who he is. Well, how did he do that? How do you think Jesus grew in his knowledge about himself? It was through the Old Testament. That was his Bible. Going back to Christopher Wright, he said, it was the Old Testament which helped Jesus to understand Jesus. Does that make sense? It was the Old Testament that helped Jesus to understand Jesus. Who did he think he was? What did he think he was to do? The answers came from his Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, in which he found a rich tapestry of figures, historical persons, prophetic pictures, and symbols of worship. So as he read his Bible, the Old Testament, he began, it began to dawn on him, my goodness, this is me. All these prophecies, all these pictures, these symbols, these historic figures were all pointing to him. They were describing him. So the Old Testament, including the Old Testament prophecies, is what helped Jesus to understand Jesus. And I would say the primary way he came to know himself was through that. Yes, he had a relationship with God, more intimate than any of us. Yes, he had a prayer life that just stunned even his disciples. So he came to know a lot of things through that intimate connection. But I know that this was the main way he came to know who he is, is through the scriptures, his Bible. So if you think about it, Jesus, he didn't have the New Testament, right, when he was here on the earth. It wasn't written yet. And so everything he learned about himself came from the Old Testament. So then here's the question, what about you? What about us? How are you going to come to know Jesus better? Have you thought about that? That should be a question you should ask. That should be a goal in your life as a believer. I want to know Christ. Paul said that. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him as intimately as I know my wife, my children. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I want to encourage you to start reading your Old Testament. So Jesus grew in his self-understanding of who he is through the Old Testament. And so what about us? How are we going to grow in our knowledge of Christ? And there's different ways, right? You can grow in your understanding of God through prayer and worship. That's one important way. I encourage you to do that this season. We can also serve him and suffer with him. That's another way you can know him better. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. He said, there's some sort of a fellowship I have with Jesus when I suffer like him, when I suffer for him. There's a, there's a fellowship he has. So these are all important ways to know Jesus better, but what about the primary way Jesus came to know himself? Again, the Old Testament. Okay, so do you know what the Old Testament says about Christ? Do you know what the Old Testament prophecies say about Christ? And if this is how Jesus came to know himself, then it's the same for us, right? It's the same for us. So you can know Jesus. You can know him more deeply and intimately than ever before. And that is the, by far the most transforming relationship you will have in this life. That will change everything in your life. But you can know him better this season through your Old Testament. So this is where Matthew starts. He starts with the genealogy of Jesus. And there are some important things we can learn about Jesus. Even as we look back into the Old Testament through that genealogy. Even before we meet him as a baby. So what are some things that Matthew lays out? Well, first, Jesus had a human lineage. He had a human lineage. Look at Matthew 1.1 and then 16. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Jacob, I'm skipping now to 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is Christ, who is called Christ. So there, Matthew was clear that Jesus has a genealogy, and it was what? It was a human genealogy. He was the descendant of human beings that were well known to the Jews, to the Israelites. 
These are famous people in Israel's history. But Jesus was the son of David, a human being, and the son of Abraham, a human being. Jesus had human parents. It says here Jesus was the son of Joseph, his adoptive father, but he was also the son of Mary, his biological mother. Matthew says in verse 16, Mary of whom Jesus was born. So do you see that? The Bible emphasizes this fact, that Jesus, the Messiah, and that just means the anointed one, same meaning as the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, would be born of a woman. He was born of a woman. And so if you look at what the Bible says about the Christ, the Messiah, how exalted he is, how divine, how unique he is, it's very strange how the Bible also emphasizes this Messiah was born of a woman. It keeps saying that. Isaiah said it in Isaiah 7.14. Paul says it in Galatians 4.4. But the Bible keeps saying that. The Messiah, this divine special being, is born of a woman. Is born of a woman. And so where does that come from, right? Why does the Bible keep saying that? Well, it comes all the way from the beginning of the scriptures. All the way back in Genesis 3.15. But here we have the very first prophecy concerning the Messiah. And you guys, many of you guys know this. God said, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That was given right at the dawn of creation, at the very beginning. There's a prophecy about the Messiah, and what did God say from God's own mouth? There's going to be an offspring of the woman. This special person that we begin to learn so much about through the rest of Scripture, this special person, this Messiah, is going to be born of a woman. So what am I talking about? Why is this emphasized? Okay, why, why is this teaching repeated all throughout in Scripture? Well, it's just a very basic point. Who is born of women? Who? Human beings, right? Human beings. Everybody here has a mama, right? Nobody here does not have a mama. Why? Because that's what human beings are. Everyone has a mother. That's what makes you a human being. You have a human lineage. You're born of a woman. And so this is Jesus. I know this is a very basic, but it's a very important point. Okay, why is this so important? Because he had to relate to us in every single way possible if he would be our substitute. He could not take our place under God's judgment if he was anything other than a human being. Because he was going to take our place. So that is so important, and the Bible repeats that. He was born of a woman. He was born of a woman. He will be born of a woman. But here's another reason this is so important. It's so that, he, so, so that we can now relate to him. It's not just he can relate to us. It's so now we can also relate to him. Because Jesus can sometimes feel very otherworldly, right? He, he kind of seems like somebody in the distant past, some ancient historical figure. On top of that, he was this miracle worker, he died, he rose from the dead. Now he's up in heaven somewhere. I don't know where, right? I don't see it, but he's up there somewhere. And so because of that, Jesus can feel very distant, unrelatable. But the whole point of Jesus coming here is so that we can relate to him, so that we can draw near to him. Well, how does God provide for that? Jesus is a human being. He was born of a woman. He has a mama, just like you and me. He is a human, just like us. Okay, let's get more even... More specific than that, this means Jesus had parents. How many of you guys have parents? We all have parents. He has siblings. He had brothers and sisters. We know after Mary gave birth to Jesus, she and Joseph finally consummated the marriage, and they had many more kids, a lot of kids. So Jesus had a bunch of brothers and a bunch of sisters all living together. Maybe you've never thought of this. Jesus had grandparents. He had grandparents. Both Joseph and Mary were very young when Jesus was born. Especially Mary. Mary could have been no more than 14, 15 years old. That was a typical age in Roman times, in ancient Israel times, when women were married off. But she was just a young teenager, and we know when the angel Gabriel visited Mary to announce that she was going to give birth, where was she? Where was Mary? She was living in her parents' house. She was in her childhood bedroom, about to go to bed when the angel visited. And that was in Nazareth. That's the same town Jesus grew up. So what am I saying? Jesus most likely knew his grandparents and saw them all the time. They lived in the same town. Mary was a very young mom. Her parents would have been alive for a very long time. 
So this means Jesus not only had grandparents, he experienced the death of his grandparents. How many of you guys have had a grandparent who passed away? And you struggled through that. Jesus experienced the same. He also experienced the death of his father, Joseph. Some of you guys actually have parents who passed away. Jesus experienced that. As the oldest son, maybe he even helped plan the funeral. Maybe he gave the eulogy. And so do you get my point here? He is a human being. And many of the life struggles that you've been through, Jesus has been there. He has struggled through that. So is he more relatable now? So everything we will experience in the normal course of life, Jesus experienced. Why? Because he was human. See, he's not some unrelatable alien, some mythical figure like Zeus or Superman. right? But he is a human being. He had a family. He had a business. He had a job. He experienced the struggles and joys and loss in life, dealing with family and siblings and rivalries maybe. He didn't sin, but I'm sure there was conflict there. Like all of us, he just dealt with day in and day, day out life. Now, of course, this also meant he experienced all the temptations that human beings experience. Right? The temptations that wage war against our soul. These are real burdens that we deal with, right? These are things that we know are not good. They are destructive. They can hurt people. And so they're a burden on us. They threaten us to lead us away from God. We know that. We struggle with it, right? We burn in our hearts with temptations. Well, guess what? Jesus was a human being. It means he struggled in the exact same way. We know that. Hebrews 4.15 says it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through everything. He was tempted in every possible way. I'm talking about thing, everything from like body image to low self-esteem, jealousy. Again, he did not sin, but he was tempted in those things. Every single thing you can imagine. Feeling like he doesn't measure up. Feeling like he needs to make more money, but he's, his business isn't going well. Him and his father had a carpentry business, a woodworking business. See, all these things, right? He struggled through. And why? Why does the Bible emphasize this part of Jesus' humanity, that he was tempted in every way we were? Well, read on, Hebrews 4, 16, the next verse. He was tempted in every way we were, yet without sin. So then, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, the Bible is saying, go to him. He understands. Jesus understands. He can relate to you. You don't have any barrier in drawing closer to him. So I want to encourage you, church, this Advent season, draw near to Jesus. He's a human being. He's been through everything you've been through and more. He knows exactly what you're facing. Draw near to him. And you will find mercy and grace to help in those areas that you're tempted in. That's the context. It's not a generic help. Oh, help me to pass this test. It's talking about in those temptations that burn in your heart, Jesus knows that. He knows what it feels like. He will help you. Amen? So Jesus has a human lineage. So we need to understand how important this is. This is vital in knowing Christ, drawing near to Christ. See, this comes directly from the Old Testament. You don't get it just jumping into the New Testament. You got to read your Old Testament. But Jesus has something else. He also has a Jewish lineage, a Jewish lineage. Look at verses 1 and 2, Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. So right there from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew is dropping names. He's dropping some big names here. These are heavy hitters in the history of Israel, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. These are the most significant figures in Jewish history. Without these figures, there is no Jewish history. And here's Matthew's point. This is Jesus' lineage. This is his lineage. So Jesus not only had a human lineage, he had a Jewish lineage. This is another basic but very important point. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. You know, I love hearing the testimonies of Jews who come to faith in Christ. I've mentioned this for the last several weeks. I've been listening to all these testimonies. But almost all of them, at one point, as they're hearing the gospel, coming to faith in Christ, they all say the same thing. They all say, I never knew that Jesus was Jewish. Isn't that astounding? That, that's crazy to me. 
that there are millions of Jewish people living in this world and they're like, Jesus has nothing to do with me. They don't even know that he's Jewish. There's one Jewish lady, she actually said, my whole life I thought Jesus was Catholic. Because <laughs> right? she's like, I grew up in New York and whenever I drive around, I see Jesus on Catholic churches. I don't see Jesus in the synagogue. He's always in these Catholic churches. He's like, I thought Jesus was Catholic. Not Jewish. Well, I don't blame her. Because even Christians today who go to church, they don't seem to know that Jesus is Jewish. Even Christians don't seem to know that very clearly. But Jesus is Jewish. And again, where did this idea come from? Well, it comes from the Old Testament. So let me highlight a few passages. Matthew said Jesus is the son of Abraham, right? Well, God said that long ago in Genesis 22, verse 18. And in your offspring, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. But God told Abraham, in your offspring, you're going to have a descendant one day coming from your body. He will bless the entire earth. So the Messiah will be Abraham's offspring. Jesus fulfilled that. Matthew also said Jesus is the son of Isaac. Genesis 17, 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant, and listen, for his offspring after him. So God's like, you're going to have a son, his name is Isaac, but Isaac's going to have children. So God's prophesying all this, and it's with one of his kids, Isaac's descendants, that I'm going to make an everlasting covenant. Again, this is talking about the Messiah. He will be Isaac's offspring. Jesus fulfilled that. Okay, do you see this in the Old Testament? Matthew also said Jesus is the son of Jacob. Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Israel was a, another name for Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And you know what's shocking about this? These were the words of Balaam, a false prophet. This wasn't even a Jewish prophet. This was a false prophet. And we're not going to get into the story, but here he spoke the truth. The Holy Spirit came upon Balaam, and then he spoke the truth, even though he was a false prophet. And what did Balaam say? He said the Messiah will be a descendant of Jacob. So Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus is the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only that, Matthew said Jesus is the son of Judah. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. A scepter is like a little rod, an iron rod that kings used to carry, right? Is a, is a symbol of kingly authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So Jacob prophesied that. He said that over his son Judah. And Jacob said the Messiah, the special person, that's been written about all along, he's going to come through Judah's bloodline. That's a big prophecy. And Jesus fulfilled that. So do you see that? When Matthew said Jesus is the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, he literally meant that. The Old Testament says it everywhere. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see that the Messiah would have a very clear and distinct Jewish lineage. And the New Testament repeatedly says Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. He is a Jew. He is a Jew. And so why am I emphasizing this? Why is this so important? It's because, first of all, it gives proof of who Jesus is. It is proof of his historicity. What I mean is it's proof that Jesus really existed in history. You know, it's amazing to me that there are still people today, even like scholars and you know, professors in universities who don't believe Jesus really existed. But this is proof of Jesus' historicity. Okay, how do we know that? Well, one way we know is because he came from a certain people and culture that is still around today. See, we're not talking about the Canaanites. We're not talking about the Babylonians who aren't around. We're talking about Jewish people and Jewish culture, and that is still around today. God preserved them. And Jesus came from those people. Again, he's not some alien that floated down from heaven and then floated back up. He's not some anonymous John Doe that we don't know where he's from, no background, no history. No, God made it crystal clear. The Messiah, my son, when he comes, he's going to be a Jew. He is Jewish. And so this means if you doubt his existence, look at the history of the Jewish people and the culture of the Jewish people. 
and see if there's any authenticity about Jesus' life. I mean, does he look like all the other Jews that we see today? I mean, Jewish people are everywhere today. Their culture was preserved for thousands of years. They still read the same Bible. It's just everywhere. Match it up. See if Jesus sounds true. Does he sound like a Jew? He's supposed to be a Jew, right? This is proof of his historicity. You know, I remember listening to this talk one time, uh, one of those talks at Google, and I think they invited Tim Keller to come and to just talk about one of his books, and so he did, and he gave his arguments for God. And then I remember, at the end of that talk, he had a Q&A time, and this young man stood up, and he kind of challenged Keller. And I'm paraphrasing this, right? I'm just kind of remembering this from memory, so don't quote me on this. But this young man basically said, okay, thanks for coming. You believe in Jesus, and you've given reasons for that. Well, guess what? I believe in the flying spaghetti monster in the sky. And I have my own reasons for that. So what? What's the difference, right? You have your God, I have my God. We, we have our own reasons for it. And this is what Keller said. And again, I'm just kind of remembering it from memory. But he said, well, your flying spaghetti monster has no basis in reality. That's the difference. It doesn't come from anything real in the world. And of course, that man would agree. He just made it up, right? I mean, it's not based on anything in the world. In contrast, what I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, comes from a very specific cultural, historical context. He actually comes from somewhere real in the world. And in fact, and Keller didn't say all this, but in fact, that culture and that history and those people are still here today, this very day in the world. In other words, Jesus is Jewish, and the Jewish people are still around. Now, many might not accept that Jesus is their Messiah among the Jewish people, but you know what, though? The Jewish people, they can verify their own history, though, right? If you ask, ask them about their history, they can verify it. They can tell you about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They can tell you about Judah and David. Okay, this is from their own history. They can tell you about all these people. They can verify their own scriptures, right? They study their scriptures all the time. They can tell you everything about their Bible. They're still around today. And here's the point. That's directly where Jesus came from. Do you see that? So don't let people say, oh, yeah, well, you believe in this God? I mean, who knows, right? I believe in the spaghetti monster. Please, <laughs> please, right? There is a chasm of difference. It doesn't even come close. So in a way, if you want to prove that Jesus didn't ex exist, you know what you have to pull off? You need to prove to me that the Jewish people don't exist. If you want to prove to me that Jesus, a Jew, didn't exist, then prove to me that the Jewish people and their history doesn't exist. That's pretty hard to do because they're still here today. So believing in a Jew, Jew, uh, Jewish Jesus, tongue twister, is very different than believing in a flying spaghetti monster with no basis in reality. It's so different. But here's another reason why it's important to know Jesus' Jewish lineage. Here's another reason, especially during this season. It provides such a key opportunity for you to draw closer to him. What an opportunity for you to come to know him better and more deeply. So what do I mean? If someone you want to know comes from a particular background and culture, and you know what that culture is, then what's one wonderful way that you can get to know that person better and connect with that person more? What's an easy way to do that? Get to know their culture. Get to know their background, right? Now, I remember um, my wife has a cousin who is Korean-American, and she's married to a guy who is white. Very nice couple. Um, they have beautiful kids. We actually just saw them over Thanksgiving. But I remember when they first got married, uh, talking to the husband, and he told me, and a bunch of us there, that he was taking Korean classes. And he, and he said that he was taking them during the weeknight because he didn't have time on the weekend or they didn't offer it during the weekend. So he would go after a long day of work, drive through traffic, to a Korean class, and he would take all these Korean lessons, and he was trying to learn Korean. And when I heard that, I was so impressed, because, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. If you love your wife, and he does, and he wanted a deeper connection with her, I mean, what's one very straightforward way to do it? Get to know her culture better, right? Start learning the language that she speaks at home with her parents. That is an obvious way of getting to know that person better. And so what am I saying? You want to know Jesus better? You want that opportunity as well? Well, then know that he's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. He is not some random person, some alien that floated down from heaven and then zoomed back up. He is a human, and he is Jewish, and he will always be Jewish. Right? He can't change his lineage any more than you can change your lineage. 
You're not going to be something else one day. Even in heaven, you're going to be that race, that ethnicity. Well, guess what? Jesus is always going to be Jewish. So that's good to know, right? You can get to know your Savior better by getting to know his culture. I'm talking about his culture, his food, his language, his history. This is where Jesus comes from. He is a Jew. So I want to encourage you guys, this season, get beyond the abstract. Get beyond that little person inside your head. So many times, Jesus is just that person inside my head that I talk to. Get beyond that. He is a real person who's, who is also Jewish. But there's also something else. Jesus has a kingly lineage. He has a kingly lineage. Look at Matthew 1, verse 1, and then verse 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, David the king. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot here because we'll talk about it more next week. But David was the greatest king in Israel's history, and Matthew says Jesus is his direct successor. So what does that mean? That means, you know, after David lived and died, there were many more kings after him, right? His son Solomon and all his other sons after that. But there is only one true king in the same mold as David, and yet is greater than David, is Jesus. So Jesus is the king. He is the true king on David's throne. The Old Testament, again, just lays it out everywhere. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. Okay, we know who that is, right? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That is a weird name for a baby. A baby's going to be born, and that baby's name is Everlasting Father? Right? What does that mean? How can a baby be called Everlasting Father? Well, this is Jesus. Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, his father, and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So do you see that? Jesus is the true king on David's throne. This is one of the most glorious prophecies about Jesus. And so this is Jesus. He is in the mold of King David, and yet he clearly outstrips David. His kingdom will be greater than anything David had. He is the king of kings. And so we know this in an abstract way, but again, I want to make things concrete, right? Let me ask you, does knowing this make any difference to you in your relationship with him? having this information, does that make any difference to you? Well, it should, because this is a significant part of who he is. Again, he's not just that person in your head that you talk to. He's not just that buddy. He's not even just a human being who's been through stuff you've been through, a Jew, but he is the king of kings. That that should make a difference in your relationship with him, doesn't it? You know, I remember watching this documentary one time on Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever. I know LeBron tries to, you know, get into that little circle. You know, get him out of there, right? You know, you ain't, you ain't that great, LeBron. But Michael Jordan, the greatest player ever. But this documentary was basically talking about his, like, childhood, you know, his family life. And at one point, they interviewed his son. And they actually talked to his son about what is it like to be the son of Michael Jordan. And it was very interesting. But this son talked about the day he realized when he was just a little kid, the day I realized my dad is Michael Jordan. And it was a big deal for him. (laughs) Because he said, until that point, my dad was just dad. But then at some point in his life, as he's going through school and he's talking to other kids, and they're like, dude, your dad's Michael Jordan, man. You're the kid of Michael Jordan. And then he realized that. And let me ask, do you think that deepened his appreciation of his father? I think so. Do you think that deepened his understanding of his father and who he is? I think so. Do you think it enriched his relationship with his dad? I hope so. There's a good chance it did, especially because he was going to go into basketball. So do you understand? You've got to have more information about who you are in relationship with than just like, oh, yeah, this person's just there. I talk to him. Every time I come home, he's just there. Right? We've got to get beyond that, brothers and sisters. This is what the Old Testament is continuously laying out. Don't you know who the Savior is? Don't you know? He is a human born of a woman just like you. So don't kid yourself. Everything you go through, he has been through, and more. He's a Jew. There's a specific context he comes from. He's not a generic person dressed in white. He's a Jewish man. Not only that, he is a king. You've got to understand who you are in a relationship with. 
So how do you think that affects you when you come before him? You know, I have a friend, uh, he's the pastor who planted a church in Arizona, a good friend of mine, one of my best men in my wedding. But I remember thinking, this is so weird, but every time I was with him, I used to sleep over at his apartment, whenever he would spend time in prayer, and he kind of did it, like, you know, in his room, but I would kind of watch him sometimes. But he would just kind of, like, get on one knee, you know, and just, like, pray to God like this. And sometimes, almost kind of like, you know, how Muslim people do, he would get on both knees and, like, you know, put his forehead on the ground. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that is some reverence. That is some reverence. I just pray to God just, like, sitting at a table before I eat something or just walking around in my room. And yet he kind of understood, no, no, I'm coming before the king of kings. This is my savior. This is not the only thing he is, but it's a part of who he is. It's very important. Kind of like Michael Jordan's son realizing, oh, yeah, you're my dad, but you're Michael Jordan. There's something else I need to know about you. And so will this enrich your relationship with him? I think so. So we'll have more to say about that next week. But there's one more thing, though, and we're going to close with this. But Jesus also has a gracious lineage, a gracious lineage. So when Matthew laid out Jesus' lineage, there were some bombs that he planted in that lineage that would have shook the Jewish reader. And they come in the form of four women mentioned by name. These are the only women mentioned, but they are big ones. They are bombs. But in Matthew 1, 1, and then 3, and 5, and then 6, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 3, Tamar. And then in verse 5, Rahab and Ruth. And then in verse 6, the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba. But he just left it as the wife of Uriah to honor Uriah, right? Because this was stolen from him. His wife was stolen from him. But these are four women, and they had no small controversy attached to their names. These are bombs in this lineage. And why is that? Well, just briefly, the Old Testament just lays it out. And this is the genealogy of Jesus, right? This is where Jesus comes from. These are his great, 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 great grandmothers. Let's put it in that term. These aren't just random women in history. These are Jesus' great, 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 great grandmothers. So, for example, Tamar was a Gentile woman. By the way, all of them are Gentile. They're all Gentile. They were not Jews. Tamar was a Gentile woman. She was married to Judah's son. They were childless. And then Judah's son died, and she was still childless. And in the Old Testament law, the father-in-law, Judah, should have done something about it. He should have given another son to marry Tamar and have children. He should have done something about it. That was his responsibility, and yet he did nothing. So Tamar, with great boldness and faith, took it into her own hands. And she dressed up like a prostitute. And she met her father-in-law. The father-in-law didn't know it was her. He tricked her father-in-law to get her pregnant. And then she bore a son. Pretty controversial stuff. And yet, she was commended for her bold faith in Scripture. God said, you know what? Judah did nothing. And she was suffering, and she took the matter into her own hands. Even though this was controversial, This is who she is. This is Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother. Rahab, another one, was a Gentile. This woman's even more crazy, but she was a Canaanite and a prostitute. You can't get more controversial than that for a Jew. And yet she had great faith and great boldness because when the spies came from Joshua to scope out the land, she said, you know what? I know who you are. I've heard the great reports. I know your God. And so she hid them. And then she let them go so that the Jewish spies could go back to Joshua, give a good report, and then they came into the land. And Rahab and her whole family were saved because of that faith. This is another crazy woman in a good sense. The other one, the next one, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. A Moabite was the descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. I mean, they were just a mixed race that the Jews just abhorred, going, oh my gosh, we don't even want to be with you guys. Well, this is Ruth. She was a Moabitess, and she was married to a Jewish man, and after her husband died, there was a great famine. She and her mother-in-law were suffering, and so then the mother-in-law, Naomi, said, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem, and in that moment, Ruth said, I'm going with you, and she clung to her. She clung to her, the scripture says, and this is what she said, her famous words, I will make your people my people, and I will make your God my God, and she went to an unknown land 
with her mother-in-law. This is not a typical mother-in-law, daughter-in-law story. Amen? This is not typical. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, and God blessed her. She met an amazing Jewish man named Boaz, and guess what? She became the great-great-grandmother, or I think the great-grandmother of King David. Ruth, this Moabitess, from this race of people that were from an incestuous relationship, she became the great-grandmother of King David. And then finally, the wife of Uriah, another Gentile. Uriah was what? Uriah the Hittite. Hittite was not a Jew. That's a Gentile. And most likely, Bathsheba was also a Hittite. And Uriah's wife was a victim. She was raped. Okay? We need to call for what it is. King David raped her. She got pregnant. That baby died in judgment on David. And yet, God blessed her later. And she had a second child who became Solomon. And she became this Canaanite victim, victimized woman. She became the great mother of King Solomon, one of the greatest kings in Israel. So another incredibly broken, scandalous story, and yet this is Jesus' lineage. This is his lineage. These are his great, 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 great grandmothers. Talk talk about incriminating evidence online. You know, these days, so many people are worried about that. Oh, my gosh, you know, I don't want to Google my name because what if weird stuff pops up, right? And not just me, but I don't want to Google my last name because what if, like, weird stuff comes up on my family? And people pay huge amounts of money to, like, purge, you know, the Internet as if you really can, right? But they pay huge amounts of money. And so people are just freaked out about stuff like that, incriminating evidence on me and my family. And yet, what did Jesus do? He put it right into the scriptures for all eternity, for everyone, for all eternity to read. Yep, this is my family. I have a prostitute. I have a bunch of Canaanite Gentile women. You know, one dressed up like a prostitute. One really was a prostitute. One was a Moabitess. One was a victim of rape. I mean, he just laid it out there. And yet God moved through all of them. And so what does this mean, you guys? What do we see in this lineage right from the beginning? This is a lineage of amazing grace. Amen? It's amazing grace. And not only that, but this is a part of the fulfillment of Genesis 12.3. God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Everybody, Gentile, Jew, Canaanite, everybody who comes to me in faith will be blessed. Faith in the one that I will send. See, it's a lineage of grace. And so we're wrapping it up right now, but what am I encouraging you guys to do is come to the Lord. Come to your Savior. And how are you going to do that? It's going to be through grace. You come through the throne of grace. Okay, I talked about incriminating evidence. Yeah, you might not have stuff online, but you know in your heart you have stuff, right? There are things that you would never share with anyone here in church because it incriminates you. Right? These things are shameful. These things are hurtful. They're broken things in your life. And yet, God says, come to me. Okay, look at my history. Look at where I'm from. Come to me. Right? It's a lineage of grace. And you're part of that lineage of grace. So Jesus, he had a human lineage. He had a Jewish lineage. I forgot the third one. What's the third one? <laughs> he had a kingly lineage. And finally, he had a gracious lineage. Amen? You can come to him. Okay, he will receive you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the glory. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, there is so much to learn about who you are. And Lord Jesus, I pray and ask, Lord, that people here, all of us here, all of us joining us online, that we can really get sharpened, that we can really go deeper in our understanding of you, our knowledge of you. Because Lord God, the simple reality is a relationship only goes as far as our understanding and knowledge of each other. I mean, we can imagine we have some amazing relationship with a spouse or friend or a parent, but if we stopped learning about who they are, if we stopped knowing more and more things about them and who they are, then Lord, that relationship has really stopped. It really hasn't gone anywhere. And Lord, I'm afraid that that's how our relationship with you is. So many of us. That's how our relationship with you is. So Lord God, help us, Lord, to get beyond that. Help us to continue to grow in our understanding of who you are. 
to truly and deeply know you. It's the most transforming relationship we have. It has the power to give us an entirely different kind of life. But that's not why we do it. We just want to do it because we want to know you. We want to know you, Lord. So, Lord God, during this Advent season, as we look ahead to Christmas morning, Christmas day, Lord, help us to draw near to you. Help us to do it in concrete, specific ways as we learn the scriptures, as we look at the Old Testament, not just the New, but the Old Testament. There's a wealth of knowledge about who you are in the Old Testament. Help us to begin to understand more deeply. Thank you, Lord. It's all about you, Lord. We just want to be with you. Thank you, God. Let's just come before God as we do every Sunday, but let's just spend some time, just a moment, but just say, Lord, I, I want to know you more. Is that a desire in your heart? Is that something that would actually matter, knowing Jesus more? Let's just come before him. Let, let's just pray that if that's in your heart. Lord, I, I just want to know you more. I want to know you as the real person you are. You're real flesh and bone. Even right now in heaven, you have a real body forever and ever, just like me, and yet more glorious. You have a real history. You have a real home. You have a real culture, a real language, a people, a food. You ate certain kinds of food. I, I want to know you. You had a Bible, just like us. You, you had your own Bible, God. Jesus, you read your Bible. I can read that same Bible. I want to know you so much more I can know about you. I can talk to you right now. I can talk to you. Can you hear me? You answer me. Okay, is that your prayer? I don't want to pray the whole prayer for you, but let's just come before the Lord. And let's just pray that prayer. I want to know you, Lord. continue in this mode of prayer as the praise leads us in worship. Thank